thank you, worship team, for leading us in our worship and praise of God this morning. And thank you for the invitation to join these folks as we worship together at the Fortress Inn. Last week, Sunday, was Pentecost Sunday, the Sunday in which we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on uh, the early disciples and enabled them to speak in a variety of tongues so people all around them could hear and understand. And as Peter preached that great Pentecost sermon, uh, 3,000 people were convicted of their sins and put their trust in Jesus and were baptized and received into the church of Christ. Today we're going to be focusing on a particular work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to being a prayer intercessor on our behalf. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 8, but the focus of our attention is going to be especially on verses 26 and 27. I'll begin reading in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits with waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan eager inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And then comes the verses we're going to be focusing on especially this morning. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, a group of young people were gathered together for a time of Christian fellowship, Bible study, and prayer. I don't remember what the Bible study was on that evening, but I do remember that after the Bible study, we spent some time focusing on care concerns of various members of the, of the camp. And some of the pr prayers were rather typical, dealing mainly with family and friends, with health concerns and other issues. But the request of one young college student still stands out clearly in my mind. 
she had been having difficulty with her prayer life, and she asked us to pray for her. Sometimes, she said, in our prayers, it seems as if the words getting all quieter, so to speak. Each of us assured her of our prayers, and she was just so grateful for our response because she found comfort in knowing that other people around her, when she felt weak and frail, were remembering her in prayer. I admired her honesty and her frankness, for I knew that there were times when I too felt that way, but did not have the courage to confess it. There are times in my life when I too could have taken her words upon my lips and said, sometimes it seems when I pray, the words get an all quieter than I feel. And no doubt there have been times in your life when you too could have spoken words very similar to these. How hard it is to get through to the very presence of God when we pray. How difficult it is to force our way through that crowd of distracting thoughts of worldly cares, even of things that are done. Those of us who know anything at all of the school of prayer will know from experience that a person's holiest moments are the moments which are beset more than any other by the onslaught of the enemy upon our minds and our thoughts. How hard it is to realize when we pray that God is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How difficult it is to get through the clouds that seem to exist beneath his feet in order that we may in prayer be restored. It's not that we do not want to pray. It is rather that our experience in prayer is such that we often rise from our knees disappointed and frustrated, feeling as if we have wasted our time and and repeating meaningless, worn-out phrases that somehow do not mean a great deal to us. And when we are finished by praying, we can seriously bring ourselves to believe that our feeble words have been heard, or that they have made any difference at all in the things concerning which we have been praying. We say our prayers, but we have been praying. And for us who feel this way, the word of God comes to us this morning with a word of hope, with a word of assurance, with a word of comfort. The Apostle Paul knew exactly what we are talking about. He shared that same burden and that same trial with us. But in the words of our text, he tells us how this very burden can become our comfort. And so today I want to consider with you verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8 under the theme, Somebody praying for you. Noticing, first of all, human weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Secondly, divine intercession. The Spirit himself intercedes for us in his wordless groans. And thirdly, divine approval. He who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's important for us to note the context in which these words are written. Paul has just been speaking of the glory of adoption into the family of God. And then after the thought of that glory, his thoughts go back to the fact that we still live in this troubled world of ours. 
for you draws a great picture of the present world groaning and longing for that day of complete redemption when we will be delivered from the frailties and the shortcomings and the trials that we have experienced here on this earth. Paul writes that the creation itself will endow you with consciousness. He thinks of nature longing for that day when the other world will be delivered from its weakness and frailties and, and the dominion of sin will be broken when death and decay will finally be gone and when God's glory will come in all of its fullness and power. If inanimate creation longs blindly for the day of its liberation, we who belong to the community of the redeemed, who see the glory standing before us, strain forward eagerly for that day of adoption, the day when we will be publicly and universally acknowledged as the sons and daughters of God. Now we groan inwardly because of our physical frailty and, and because of our sinful nature. And so we yearn ardently for that future glory when we will be delivered from all these frailties and limitations and burdens. And in the meantime, we can do nothing but wait and hope and groan. The trials of this present life weigh heavily upon us. The burdens we carry are far too heavy for us. Our entire lives are characterized by weakness. But the particular weakness that Paul has in mind here is our weakness in prayer. We do not know how to pray as we ought. What are the people in this book of Romans who do not know how to pray now? Who are they? They are the people who are described in this great chapter that begins with the words, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It ends with this triumphant statement that nothing in life or death itself can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the redeemed people of God, those who belong to Jesus Christ, who can pray. But they often falter so much that they do not even know how to pray. We need to consider for a moment what the Bible teaches us about prayer, and we will discover why it is so difficult for us to pray in the right manner. James put it this way, you do not have because you do not ask. And then he continues, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then he goes on to say, that's why it's so important for us to know the conditions that we have. I want to consider with you some conditions this morning. The first one is that prayer must always be characterized by sincerity. We must pray from the heart. In Hamlet, one of Shakespeare's most famous plays, the king with the blood of his own brother whom he has murdered still on his hand and with his conscience clouding his wits, goes into the beautiful royal chapel to pray. He does not stay there long. But when he comes out muttering to himself, my, thought, my words fly out, my thoughts remain below. Words without thought never suffice to pray. 
the Bible says if you keep your returning heart, you will surely find it. Keep there, O your heart. Keep there, your heart. Another condition of true prayer is humility. We must humble ourselves in the presence of God. That reverence is the essential quality of true prayer is clearly seen in the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament. When they talk about Abraham, Abraham was one of the great heroes of the faith. The one who was chosen by God to begin the journey in order to start a new community of people who would be especially chosen and dedicated to serve and follow God and his people. But Abraham never forgot that he prayed to God he was but a creature in his mind. And after he offered that prayer to Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, Behold now, I have taken it upon myself to pray to the Lord, I who am nothing but dust. True prayer must always be characterized by humility. And a third condition of true prayer is faith. We must rest assured that in spite of all of our trials and difficulties, in spite of our unworthiness and failures, God will certainly hear and answer our prayer, not because of who we are, but for the sake of Jesus, his son, in whom we delight. To pray in faith means something more than simply believing there is a God. It is to believe that what the writer of Hebrews says, he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Of course, we must expect sometimes. And James says we are to ask in faith, not doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. To pray in faith is to rely upon the promises of God, to trust him implicitly, and to trust him to the very end. Believing prayer is always linked to that promise. Believing that what God has promised, he will most certainly do. Believing prayer is the confidence and the certainty that comes from knowing that the God to whom we pray is almighty God who has all things under his control. But he is also our loving father who still chooses what the Bible teaches us about true prayer, then we see our absolute focus on humility, our lack of humility, and our weakness in faith. When we know how real and true to life are these words of the Apostle Paul, then we can trust with him that we do not know how to pray. do we fail to pray in the right manner. We do not even know what to pray for. We cannot see the future. We don't know what lies ahead around the corner. We don't know what's going to happen next year or next month or even the following day. That is not in our control. We have no idea of what lies in the future. 
but sometimes when we ask to be cured from things that we think are bad for us that would cause us harm and difficulty, we're asking for things that are not really true and accurate because our perception of things is not always the same as God's perception of things. He sees into the future. We see only in the present. He sees the whole picture. We see only that little thing that we are faced at that is at that particular moment in time. Our relationship to God is, is sort of like the relationship between with, with children, which children have with their parents. Even the boys and girls, even though many of them are out of this sanctuary right now, know that there are times when your parents, when you ask your parents for something and they say to you in private that I can't give that to you because it simply wouldn't be good for me. I know what's best for you and that request that you are making to me Sometimes we have to admit that our parents punish us, not because they enjoy it to give them satisfaction with it, but because they are trying to teach us a lesson, because they want us to learn from that experience that we are going through so that we would be better people for it. God is often in the same position with us as his children. He often has to deny us and attempt because he knows far better than we do what is best for us. And sometimes he has to refuse our requests because he knows that they will only be bound to hurt if we try to accept them. But someone has written so weak words of man, so ignorant and blind, that did not God sometimes withhold the mercy that we ask? We would be ruined by our error. The truth of the matter is that we do not even know what our real needs are, and consequently we do not know what we ought to pray for. So again, we see how real and how true philosophy and straight introspection can be in fact convincing, that we do not know our needs. But we are not alone in our weakness. For the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That's our second point this morning. The Holy Spirit is presented to us in his work as the paraclete. He's ready to help. He's ready to stand by in our time of need. He's like a friend who stands by our, by our side and takes our hand in his own firm one. The Spirit is represented as condescending to take upon himself some part of our burden so as to relieve us of these troubles. It's the Spirit who works all that is spiritual within us. Also our prayer. For the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. It's instructive to notice that in this first letter of John, Jesus Christ is also called our paraclete. And in Romans 8, Paul says that Jesus Christ is also interceding for us. So we have two divine intercessors who plead our cause before the throne of grace. Our Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and pleads in our behalf before 
God's grace. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as he dwells within our hearts, knowing the deepest yearnings and longings that we are experiencing in the Lord Jesus. Jesus makes his intercession for us in his place of glory in the very presence of God Almighty. The Holy Spirit makes his intercession for us and within the lives of the believers that we love. He pleads at the throne of grace for all the deep and hidden needs of the people. While Jesus is our advocate in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, pleading on behalf of his perfect sacrifice offered on Calvary's cross, the Spirit pleads our cause from within our hearts and conveys to believers the life and power of the risen and exalted Christ. The intercession of Christ and the Holy Spirit are very closely and intimately connected. For it is the work of the Spirit to lead us to a consciousness of the risen Lord. And as a true advocate in church service, the Spirit finds us in our weaknesses. The Spirit takes our past, speaks on our behalf, and prays in a way that we could not possibly ever pray on our own behalf. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless prayers. While it may not be possible for us to determine the precise character of the Spirit's intercession on our behalf, it is true that this phase refers to those longings and aspirations that well up from the depths of our hearts that we can't even put into words ourselves because we don't know how to identify and bring those needs before God's throne. James Montgomery caught the apostle's meaning of, of this phrase well when he said, prayer is the soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden heart that's kindled in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. True prayer may or may not find itself in words. Even when it is most articulate, it comes in a way that we can't even begin to figure out how to put into speech. The Holy Spirit needs to impart a meaning to prayer to God that they could never have in their hearts. He controls and lifts our yearnings to the highest mountain of prayer. And there's a strong reason why such confession needs the divine approval. And that brings us to our third point tonight. He who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God alone can see into our hearts. He looks below the surface and sees to the very foundation. He discerns the motives that prompt even the most faltering utterances. And that's why when we bring our requests to God, then, for example, 
be praying for the healing of the sickness or loosing his own sickness. God, we must now think that we are bringing forward something new for which we have to give special reasons or emphasis by saying our prayers more loudly or more vigorously long before we open our mouths. God knows what's best. He sees into our hearts. He's filled with tears and doubts, fears and hopes. He knows it all. And we can be thankful that our prayer does not depend upon our making a correct diagnosis of our own health, our needs and concerns, and then presenting God with a properly phrased petition. Thank God it is not so, and that it doesn't need to be so. Because the Father knows us before we pray. He understands prayers which have pride rather than praise. Because he searches our hearts and he reads our thoughts. And he knows and welcomes the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And when in his own right time, God's will is done. We discover that we have received not the bad which our lips utter, but the good which our hearts desire. The Father in heaven looks in approval of the prayers which are uttered by the Spirit for his people. There's a wonderful example of this in the life of the Apostle Paul himself. He gives us a wonderful example how the grace of God can meet our needs provide the needs that we have in the moment of difficult trial. He talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has been writing there about his credentials and his talents and his publishing ability. And suddenly there is a pause in his message and the words seem to have been written in a flurry. Paul becomes intensely persistent and he says something like this. I've had my fill. I've had my great experience in this world. And maybe my head could have swelled, but it didn't. And you know why? There was this pain in my stomach. There was this terrible weakness that took the wind out of my sails and the strength out of my work. I prayed and I prayed and I asked God to take it away, but that never happened. And still I'll be with you. I'll take your weakness to build my strength up. Paul couldn't understand why God wasn't taking this thorn away because he felt this thorn was an absolute hindrance to him as he went about his work of preaching the gospel, being the great missionary in the early church, of talking to people about Jesus and what he had accomplished through his perfect life and atoning death and glorious resurrection. Paul felt this thorn in his flesh was hindering him in the Lord's work. But many years later, he discovered that this thorn was at the very heart of God's will for his life. For this thorn kept him from becoming proud and conceited in what he was able to do in his own strength. This thorn kept him humble and dependent upon God and the strength that only God could provide kind of strength that God gave so that Paul could become the great missionary of the early church. And he's used to bring many people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
things that would not be good for us because we do not know any better. That's, the, that's when we can be thankful that the Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless blasphemies. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people according to the will of God. there are times in your life when you rise from your knees disappointed and frustrated, feeling as if you have wasted your time and, and repeating meaningless, worn-out phrases that somehow don't mean a great deal to you, when your heart is cold and when you're painfully weak, when it seems as if your words go no higher than the ceiling. When you have finished your prayer and can scarcely bring yourself to believe that your feeble words have been heard or that they have made any difference at all in this instantaneous in which you have been delivered. Then pause for a moment to remember these words that the apostle Paul wrote, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us and helps us in our weakness. We pray story that I started with about the young college student who was having trouble with her prayer life. And as a consequence of that, she asked us to pray for her. And I remember how each of us assured her of our prayers for her. And I have never forgotten the grateful words of this college student, which for reassurance know that somebody cannot help but think about how much more comforting and reassuring are these words of the Apostle Paul. That the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for you. And he intercedes for you with wordless blasphemies. And he who hears the intercession of the Spirit himself prays for us in those moments when we don't even know how to put our prayers and our feelings and our thoughts into words. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless blasphemies. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for his people of God according to the will of God. And 
help our organizations find hope and strength and peace. And knowing that not only does Jesus intercede for us on behalf of us, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. In the depths of our hearts, may God deal with conviction and give signs to those closest to us and give us the sight